Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. Welcome to a very special episode of the Danger Room, and I am uh, very excited to be joined by one of my podcast heroines, uh, Rebecca Banky. Um, who, uh, so Rebecca, thank you for joining us in the Danger Room. Oh, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Uh, now, I'm aware some of our listeners will know you from your previous works and achievements, but there'll be a good number who, who don't know who you are. So do you want to tell us just a little bit about your, your gaming background? Yeah, sure. So I've been, I've been gaming almost all my life. Um, I got into role-playing games and Dungeons and & Dragons with my dad when I was six years old. And I, I've, you know, they've been a passion that was important for, you know, all the years that I can remember. Um, I, I won a little bit of money playing Magic the Gathering in, in college, but uh, more recently I've, I've done pretty well taking um, uh, a miniatures game called War Machine fairly seriously and, and playing it uh, about the world um, and, and had a, a, a love of the competitive uh, that, that sort of never seemed to stop. I, um, other than love of gaming my dad also taught me uh chess when i was a very very young girl and we played for like an hour and a half every morning in this very kind of grindy approach to it he never went easy on me and i didn't win a game against him until i was maybe 15 or 16 my <laughs> my dad was also a, a chess master so he was um was a little exacting in his uh, approach to teaching people games. And I think that stuck with me. So I've always had this like mastery driving impulse to like learn uh, any, any kind of game or to kind of experience some sort of expertise in it. Um, so that, that brought me to, to War Machine, which is really good. But in my, in my day job, in my capacity as a person who doesn't have to uh, travel the world for gaming, I actually, I manage a, a game shop and we've got a really amazing community. And, and one of the reasons I fell into that line of work, um, despite being perhaps clever enough to do a little bit more with my life, I, uh, I just love the sense of community and the connectedness and the passion people bring, the sort of enthusiasm. Something gave me a lot of purpose for perhaps some darker chapters of my life. Um, you know, has, has ended up being something that I get to now share with, with young people and, and teach to a whole new generation. So I love almost any shape of, uh, of gaming or um, enthusiasm for the, the sort of the hobby and the fandom. Um, so that's, you know, that's a little piece of my story. I, uh, I've been doing this for a little while and I've been enjoying it the whole time. And I think you're being slightly modest in your achievements in War Machine. Certainly, my um, following of War Machine, I think you were certainly regarded as one of the top players in the world. Um, certainly, at one point, if not for quite a substantial chunk. So, uh, I think you're you're doing yourself a slight disservice there. But that might be the Canadian in you coming out. Um, little little modesty. We we tend to over apologize for those things. Um, <laughs> yeah. I you know the the world's a little shut down right now, so it's a little bit hard to look at a, a wall of trophies and think like, yeah, I'm really good at a game that I haven't been able to see human beings to play for quite some time. But um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I still have a wall of trophies. So that's, that's cool, I guess. Okay. Uh, so now we've kind of got to know a little bit. There's um, the reason I wanted you to come on here was to talk about some of your experiences um, as a trans gamer. So you've been very open and public uh, about about this recently. Um, and I just wanted to start with there's some people out there maybe who still aren't quite sure exactly what we mean when we're talking about people who are trans. So I wondered if you could just explain a little bit about what that means. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so trans is a, a not disrespectful uh, way of saying transgender, which is a bit of a, a $5 word sometimes and often a mouthful. Um, so I'm a transgender woman or a trans woman. Those are uh, two separate words. It's an adjective that applies to uh, my gender identity, not uh, a complete summation of it in some kind of conjoined word that that would be perhaps disrespectful. Uh, yeah, so what that means is that uh, at one point I was assigned male at birth. My, my parents um, didn't understand elements of my, my experience of gender, nor, nor did they necessarily have the, uh, the tools to. Um, and I, I think I, I don't really, this is different for everyone, but I don't really buy into the approach that I, I was a man and now I'm a woman or that I've changed in some way. For, for me, I've always felt like a woman, like as, as early as I can remember. Uh, I just had some anatomical inconveniences. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and most of that's been addressed for me through, you know, some, some medical care that's relatively minor, um, but, but mostly through the sort of social experience of connecting with friends, being able to talk to them about what my experience is like and to, to present in a way that feels both more authentic and um, in a lot of ways is, is kind of life-saving to be sort of affirmed in my experience. Hmm. Um, how did uh, the community react when you first made them aware of uh, how you wanted to be viewed? Yeah. Um, Coming out stories are always scary, and and I've had a lot of them because I, I manage a shop, um, and we had maybe three or four hundred customers who I would have been on a first name basis with, and I had to I had to change the name in that that basis, um, and obviously have a little bit more of a lengthy conversation. Uh, certainly with some of them who didn't have a lot of familiarity with it, the wider uh, community of of gamers and folks who followed my um, YouTube channel, Arcana Sister, who've um, been fans of mine on, on various podcasts in the, the gaming scene, um, also had a right to something of a coming up story. Um, although I couldn't have an individual conversation with everyone who knew my name, it's, uh, it's tricky. And the anxiety that you feel before that coming up conversation is indescribable. You don't know if you're going to get death threats and hate speech, or if you're going to get people who have the tools to understand, or people who really just have a lot of assumptions poorly informed by bad movies from the 90s that just didn't know what to do with gender as, a, <laughs> as an experience. Um, for me, it was really positive. Um, and, and, it, and I was very afraid for a long period of time. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was, I was quite scared when we made our first our first coming up video. When I had my first conversation with Evan, my my co-host on Arcane Assist, I said like, listen, I know this means we'll probably lose subscribers on our channel and I'm really sorry about that. And he said, uh, if this means we lose subscribers on our channel, they were never our subscribers. Like this isn't this isn't about that. So I and and I think that experience was echoed pretty positively in the community. And it it really it made for a soft landing for me in a lot of ways. Um, I came out first to my, like among people in the gaming world, and, and honestly, in my life in a lot of ways, I came out first to the sort of the five or six people who I'd sort of test games with and play on a Thursday night every week. And the people who would try new games with me, who would, who would play new things, who would 
you know, just kind of my, my friends in the gaming store. And I was really afraid to lose that community. And all of them, regardless of their political views or affiliations, all of them were very, very kind and very supportive. And I remember one friend of mine, um, Norbert said, um, listen, I've, uh, I've never met anyone who was trans before and I've never known anything about that experience. Um, and I, I definitely had some assumptions, but I know you and, uh, and that, that means I need to check in on some of those assumptions. And Absolutely. I was, yeah. I was a bit uh, floored by that. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, I think a lot of people find themselves in that space that, uh, this is kind of a, a new world that lots of people have no frame of reference for. Um, but I think mm -hmm. the thing that, uh, I would advise people in my limited capacity, uh, is to remember that these are the same people. They're just asking you to view them through a slightly different lens, maybe. Well, or sometimes they're sharing something that's been a secret for a really long period of time. Yeah. I, I had a complicated relationship with honesty in my life because I lied about my gender for over 30 years, right? It, and and it's, it's weird how post coming out as a trans woman, I, I'm so less capable of any kind of dishonesty than I was before. <laughs> Because all the small little things that you would decide people didn't want to hear it that way, or it was more convenient to just give a little bit of a white lie in that moment, um, you don't you don't have that capacity anymore um, when you're not filled with self delusion. And when when I felt the freedom and the the acceptance and the the power associated with just living honestly, and and those those masks started to slip away, and I, I felt like I was do you ever get the experience when you're painting a miniature, especially painting a face where you're painting from like a gray or a primed canvas and you're putting the, um, the flesh color on something mm -hmm. and it feels less like you're putting a paint on a surface and more like you're peeling something away to kind of reveal underneath it, especially on a well-sculpted model. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the moment all the time, but you're yeah. just bringing it to the light. Yeah. And it's, there's there's a lot of beauty in that, and I think I I struggled for a long time with just just feeling like I would lose so much, and and when I did lose some things, um, you know the the confidence to walk into a room and know that everyone would not judge me based on who I was, um, you know when I when I lost some little things like that, the the things I gained instead were were so amazing, and. And the best experiences I had early in that, that sort of social transition experience were the people who um, were not simply quietly supportive, but were outspokenly so, even if they came from a place of some ignorance, you know, who would come up and say, like, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I, I want to be kind and welcoming to you. And, and that, was, that was worth so much in those early days. That's definitely something which I want to want to touch on. But just going back to something you said before, um, people often, because they lack any experience of this, people often have a lot of questions. And some of those yeah. can be quite personal questions. And there's, <laughs> uh, definitely, I'm sure that laugh tells me that you've experienced this. Um, 
sometimes those questions can sort of cross a line. So I think it might be useful just maybe from your point of view, what were some of the questions which you thought, do you know what, that's a, that, that's a perfectly valid question. I'm happy to answer that question. And maybe hint at some of the questions which you were like, do you know what, I feel that crosses into a, a very personal question which you wouldn't normally ask a person. I don't feel comfortable asking that question. Are you happy to talk on that area? <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, if there's a question, I've been asked it. I have a lot of spoons when it comes to this issue. I've had a really positive coming out experience. I've had um, part of the the medical agency that gives me trans care in our community is associated with the um, homeless shelter network because they have a mandate to assist people with trans care uh, because so much of the trans population is uh, homeless because of vulnerabilities associated with housing security, mm -hmm. being kicked out of homes and having unsupported family and job insecurity, um, being rejected from work environments even though that's illegal in some mm -hmm. places, not all places, but uh, it still happens even, you know, regardless of the law involved. I have neither experience. I have an incredibly supportive work environment and an amazing community of people who've been nothing but kind to me and have helped me use my experience of transness to craft more inclusive and positive policies for a gaming community that I work in. I have an amazing home with, um, uh, a family and a partner who accept me and have, have come to understand things about me that, that make their love for me deeper and larger. So I come to conversations where people are asking potentially invasive questions from a place with a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of space and, and a relatively small amount of trauma. And that's not true of every trans person. Mm. For a lot of people, transition can be powerfully vulnerable and it can come at a pretty significant cost. And sometimes the questions that'll seem innocuous to me are questions that can be very difficult. Um, so giving space for that is really important. And it's worth noting that this is the potentially first time that you've ever interacted with a trans person and, and, and or maybe the first person you've met in real life or the first person you've known in your social circles because you know statistical modeling around this is kind of bad but um, we represent between point six and one percent of the population and that's that's true throughout history but um it's maybe a little bit less getting murdered these days than it once was um so we're, we're lingering as it were um and and being closeted a little bit less so it feels like there's a whole renaissance of transition um this is a long preamble to what are the kind of questions that i get but i guess what i'm trying to say the, the important takeaway from this is the kind of questions that are going to be comfortable and okay for different people are going to be different. I can handle a lot of questions and I can handle with grace some questions that shouldn't be asked. If you say like, so when are you going to have the surgery? That's a deeply disrespectful question that really does misunderstand some fundamental aspects of what it means to be a trans person. It focuses on really, really binary notions of gender that are tied to anatomical features that are not even particularly well-grounded in modern understandings of biology. It presupposes a lot of things about very emotionally intense and difficult decisions people have to make about major surgeries in their lives that could could have serious health uh, implications. Um, sometimes don't and, and are often not that difficult, but anytime you're going in for a, a sort of surgery of any kind is, is a, a big decision you have to make and consent forms that have to be signed. That's stuff that really grounds itself in a lot of ignorance and asked that question, I have the space, comfort, and understanding to say, 
Well, you know, that's a big decision that's happening in my life, and it's a pretty personal one, and I'd, I'd probably rather not talk about it with random person off the street who I had to be reminded of the name of. Um, <laughs> having said that, I, if, you know, if you asked a question uh, deeply personal about her anatomy to, uh, to another woman who you had maybe met only briefly in passing, um, <laughs> if she punched you in the face, like, I wouldn't be like wholly surprised or unaccepting. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there should be a line. And I guess I've got a little bit more grace when it comes to this. And that, that genuinely does come from a position of privilege. Um, what about some, some more, yeah, more common yeah, ones no, that, you're, that are kind of like a standard and, and you know, something that you, you and maybe a number of other trans people you've met are very comfortable talking about and kind of addressing those mis misconceptions maybe? Yeah, I think it's really key, not just to paint the don't go here space, but also the do go here space. Yeah. Um, I think transition is often a thing that has been deeply central to our lives. And um, while there can be a bit of fatigue sometimes about needing to explain your existence in every room you're in, um, given the right preface, most trans people are excited to talk about their experience of gender, especially, especially when you can be accepting or understanding. Um, saying things like, hey, I, I love this version of you, or I love that we're able to see more of you, like those kind of sort of affirming statements um, as a preface to, um, do, do you want to, would you be comfortable sharing a little bit of what your experience of gender has been like? Kind of open-ended versus closed questions, the kind that give that person space to answer, maybe with some nuance, um, that treats them as a human being, um, rather than treating them as, I guess, some kind of biological science experiment, which is, I think, sometimes the way we're, we're seen or stigmatized. Um, giving people, I guess, space. Um, I've I found amazing, you know, affirmations in some of the the cis women who I know and I've gotten a lot closer to, and it's quite common among women, trans or non, to be quite complimentary about like makeup choices or style choices or things that are. Um, kind of maybe the invisible labor that cis men perhaps take for granted. Sometimes, sometimes not, but uh, like talking about those things is kind of nice. It, that's not even an important part of being trans for some people, but it, it happens to be for me. And it's been nice to feel connected to that community. Um, questions that are um, like asking people their pronouns, no, normalize that kind of behavior. Um, mm -hmm. If you see somebody who's maybe performing gender a little bit unusually, or even if like they have gender markers that look like, like think for a second, which of these gender markers were easy or convenient to change? And which of these ones were maybe quite difficult to deal with? And if the easy and convenient to change ones are all pointing one way and the difficult to change ones are all pointing a different way, then it might be good to give that person a little bit of space around what their gender experience might be. Ask them their, their pronouns if you're unsure. Um, just sort of taking a stab in the dark at someone's pronouns, maybe even in a kind of way that could feel corrective to a trans person is a bit, um, you know, you're being a bit cavalier with something that could be deeply hurtful. And like, don't is maybe a good, uh, good response to that. Um, yeah, so just a simple question is like, hey, um, what are your pronouns before I, I jump into the rest of the conversation I was looking to have? And people will maybe be caught off guard, maybe just answer you happily. Um, it really shouldn't be an inappropriate question to ask. And sometimes it'll give you an answer you might not have been expecting. And when you when you move from that point to like asking, 
you know, more innocent or more excited questions. I, I love talking um, as listeners at this point in the podcast probably have figured out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and talking about trans things is no, no exception. Um, don't ask questions that you wouldn't ask. Uh, ask a, a person who you didn't know very well if you're talking to someone you don't know very well. And if you're talking to a friend, ask, you know, ask the good questions, the close questions in a context that's appropriate. The kind of questions that I will happily answer over, you know, three beers out at the pub with a close friend are very different than the kind of questions that I'm going to answer, you know, in a, a public space surrounded by relative strangers where it has not been framed as a necessarily accepting an open space. Support for trans people has to be active. It can't be passive. I don't it doesn't help me if you've never said something bad about trans people, if you haven't said something good, because I don't know. And and the scary people are the ones that I just have no idea about them. And they're quietly hating me and trying to make my life harder with the way they vote or with the way they think or with the way they talk when I'm not around. And the people who are actively helping me in the world are the ones who are saying things, affirming about trans people, even when we're not in the room. Mm. So you've touched on a number of things I wanted to get onto there, which is uh, one of which is about, um, and you've touched on this a couple of times, is about making uh, a space welcoming, be that a physical space or an online space. Uh, and what are the kind of things that uh, you as a trans woman, when you go into a space, you see, oh, this, this is making me feel welcome, or the actions or the things that are said or done by people? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, online spaces uh, versus physical spaces. Physical spaces, you know, having, and, and I'm going to speak in a bit vagaries here because it depends a bit on the, the nature of the space. Mm -hmm. Like at our game store, we've got a code of conduct that specifically spells out, you know, um, transphobia, misogyny, hate speech, like those kind of things. And that's good. Um, I think policing spaces, be they online or in-person spaces, there's a, a bit of a I don't know, I think this is maybe more American, but I think it exists in, in a lot of different places. This kind of psychology of melting pot idea that like our space is accepting of everyone. And, and then like, so you have just as much reason to not eject someone who's being a, a literal Nazi to someone who you know is, is just trying to exist as a, a woman in a world that has maybe been a bit unkind to that experience. And that's like, that's not an equality of experience. Um, mm. And you, you know, the, there's that, that old, uh, you know, if you accept both wolves and sheep, then you'll end up with a space that only has wolves. Um, you, need to, you need to weed out the folks who don't belong in spaces that are supposed to be accepting of everyone. And that's an active process that requires active moderation. And it's true of public spaces uh, and it's true of digital spaces. If it's a, you know, a Discord server where you and your friends hang out and I, I'm invited to do so and I pop in and there's somebody there who's spewing some transphobic bullshit or they're having an intellectual debate about something that they have no investment in that directly affects my right to exist, live, or receive appropriate medical care. Um, I don't want to be in that space anymore and I'm going to quietly leave and you're going to never know why trans people are uncomfortable in your spaces. And that is something that requires moderators uh to just be a little bit more educated on the issues and if that's if that's 
ask me some questions. If you listen to this podcast and you're like, hey, I moderate a Discord space I want to be more inclusive and safe with, just message me and I will straight up answer that question because I think it's just worth the labor. Um, but if you if you don't want to do that, uh, <laughs> you can research this stuff pretty easily. Like you can Google it, you can look it up, you can ask people who have made themselves available to offer that support. Um, but, but educate yourself on the ways that you can police those spaces and the people that you need to be careful about policing it with. I think um, the rule of like, we don't discuss politics in our server is a really, really dangerous one because it's been weaponized by certain communities to prevent um, advocation for people who have minority experiences. Um, and it's it's a dangerous uh, thread because we don't discuss politics actually means we only discuss politics that enforce the hierarchies of power that we already buy into. Um, but there is probably space for people who don't have an active stake in it, don't get to talk philosophically or debate the value and the lives of people who do have an active stake in it. <laughs> which is a bit more nuanced and unfortunately moderation of communities is often a bit more nuanced than simple mm. slogans right yeah um i think again I've, I've mentioned before the idea of being active about your support of trans rights pronouns in bios are a really good indicator i've had trans people who've gone to new workplaces and seen cis people with pronouns in their bios and thought i know this will be a safe space this is a job i can apply for um it's something you can do that's really visible and really obvious. Um, and that's that's good for things like a Discord server or things like a forum or even um, I've, I've had people jump into Zoom calls who have their, their pronouns in their bios. And I've, I've learned new things about people who I cared about, you know, people who were using like um, he, they pronouns. And you're like, oh, okay, let me, let me ask some questions about that. And again, same as the previous questions I said, you know, those conversations are like, hey, I noticed you've got he, they pronouns. Do you have a preference between the two? Is it something that you switch to? Does it depend a bit on mood? Can I ask you from time to time to check in on those kind of things? And folks are usually pretty cool about that, especially if you give them space to be, uh, space to be whatever they need to be in that moment, right? Sometimes it's indecisive. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it's quite clear. Sometimes it's a, let's talk about it later. I don't really have the, the tools right now to, to engage. Um, yeah, it, it's something that yeah. I, I've started doing in all my Discord servers now. I'm including my pronouns, um, not because I'm a trans person, but uh, because I want to be signaling to uh, trans members of our community that this is a space which uh, you are welcome. And I find it's a really low effort thing, which makes a huge impact on some people's uh, enjoyment of a space. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And things that are low effort, but signal pretty clearly, those are a big deal because um, you honestly when I didn't know who to come out to in the uh, the war machine community which was a, a big gaming community that I was a part of um, the digital space in a big way uh, and and indeed a part of the the kind of public space the conscious space the first person I came out to in that community who wasn't like a very very close friend of mine was somebody who had actively posted on their their Facebook feed on their timeline that you know trans rights are human rights and I support, you know, my, my trans sisters and, and trans brothers. And um, that meant I knew they were safe and I could quietly have a conversation with them saying like, hey, this is a thing that's true about me. And I, I'm 
I'm still figuring out what next steps look like, but I know that you're a safe person to come out to. And making it clear that you're a safe person to come out to is really powerful. Um, you don't know who's in that room. You just don't. And <laughs> um, there's a little like joke in the trans RPG community, which is just if you if you can't tell who at your table is learning something about their gender through the experience of role-playing games, it's probably you. <laughs> and uh, and there's a lot of people who are learning things about themselves. And even cis people have, um, or even mostly cis people, have perhaps something to learn about their experience of gender. Um, I'm not saying like everyone's secretly trans or anything like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty clear on the statistics there. Yeah. But um, we, we can all learn a little bit about the ways that for, for a lot of men, sometimes toxicity about what masculine is uh, can inform problematic decision-making and can make life harder for us. So just having a bit of critical engagement about gender can make the safe a lot spacer, for, can make the space a lot safer. Let's use words correctly, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. um, can make the space a lot safer for trans folk, but it can also do some important labor around unpacking your own biases, discomforts, or problematic behaviors around gender, even if your community is exclusively cisgender, which it probably isn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, talking about role play experiences, uh, certainly it was very powerful for me the first time I played a female character uh, and mm. kind of changed my whole view of, of role playing as, a, as an experience. And probably I play more female characters than male characters now. Um, and it's not even something I think about during character generation. It's just, okay, this character is female. It's just, it's not something I have to think about. Uh, it just feels like when I'm imagining that character, I'm starting to think about them, that it's, it's, it's a part of the process. And that's, yeah, I, yeah, sorry, sorry. go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you go. My apologies for, it's just, it's just something that, um, has become internalized now and, um, has helped. I mean, I, I've been on a journey from, uh, sort of quite a, uh transphobic childhood but just as a product of the of the growing up in the 80s to a place where i am now where i would consider myself a trans ally um and that's that's been a journey that i've been on and that's that was definitely part of it that experience through role playing and i think um i think there's a lot of capacity in those experiences to to learn something and to to kind of get in the head of a character and to, to have a better understanding so I, I played primarily in RPGs, I, female characters, almost exclusively uh, playing as the kind of woman that I knew I was even before I maybe had language to understand that. Uh, but, but cisgender women, um, because I didn't have good language around uh, trans understanding. Um, and it wasn't until university that I started to try to make some choices about transition that very, very quickly backslid because um, I met some folks who were not very affirming or not very accepting and felt like I would lose too much of my life. Um, but uh, a couple of years ago now, year, year and a half, two years, uh, more than that, COVID maybe messed my sense of time up. Um, <laughs> yeah, all of it. <laughs> indeed. So, so say we all, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I started playing um, a character in a, an online streamed RPG. This was our Star Wars Dawn of the Harbinger RPG that I did with uh, More Than Dice. And for the first time, I was playing a trans character, a trans woman. Um, 
and I was, I, I did a little bit of reading about, you know, what not to do. And they're like, if you're, if you're not actually a trans person, it's not really appropriate to uh, tour in their trauma to focus on the negative elements of transition and the difficulty of it. But playing an affirmed, supported trans character can be really validating, especially for people at your table who might be trans. And I was like, oh, we're putting this out to a wide audience. It'll be good to play a trans character and, um, you know, do a good job of that. And um, no need to unpack that too much further. <laughs> so we were recording this uh, this podcast web series uh, called Dawn of the Harbinger with uh, More Than Dice, which is um, a, a great channel if you're into hobby stuff. And we've been doing a couple of RPGs with them. Um, but uh, I was playing a trans character as a <laughs> apparently cisgender man playing a trans woman. And then during the course of the podcast came out myself as a, a trans trans woman. So it was it was a really interesting experience, um, and one of the one of the communities I came out to sort of before a wider scene was my <laughs> my my podcasting group there, my little RPG group that was playing together. So and they were very very supportive and very affirming, and uh, most of them had kind of understood this character to be maybe a little bit more significant than perhaps even I had. So that was really cool, and and you know she has a warm place in my heart for those reasons. But mm -hmm. gaming um, is and kind of always has been more for the people who do it than is necessarily obvious to the outside. There are, there are other places we can test our metal. There are other places we can um, explore our creativity. But for me, gaming has always been an opportunity to do more than those things. It, it certainly is those, and don't get me wrong. My, um, my War Machine record is a little bit like a personal golf score. I'm proud of it, and it's a thing that comes up in conversation with people who I've become great friends with. Um, but it's also been an opportunity for me to find a safe refuge from a world that doesn't necessarily understand my experience. And I think that's pretty universal among gamers. Yep, I think that's definitely a universal thing. Um, Something I hear a lot of trans people talk about is uh, people over-apologizing. Do you want to talk about when that might come up and, and maybe how to apologize better? Sure. Um, this is a bit of a nuanced point. Um, I think sometimes misgendering, it happens, right? There's a psychological reconditioning experience that we have to do where we, we reframe our experience of someone else. and Anyone who knows anything about language is going to be able to tell you that you don't really develop fluency of experience until you're no longer translating in your head. So you need to not just be able to say someone's pronouns correctly. You need to almost stop seeing them as the other gender. And that's going to be more than just, oh, I don't see you as this thing anymore. It's going to be... Um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit of a labor where you don't see them as that gender most of the time, although in this kind of moment you do, or when they're, um, you know, when, when they're, they haven't done makeup and, or when you're seeing them in the wrong outfit. I, I had a friend with a lot of trouble misgendering me because I'd wear a dress one day and then I'd wear like jeans and a t-shirt the next day. And he'd say like, oh, you're just, you're making it so hard for me. And <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, this is very much not about you, uh, but um, I get that experience. I get that it does take time sometimes. So with misgendering, I think um, the tendency, even among really good trans allies, is to over-apologize a little bit um, and to say things like, um, you know, 
he oh i mean she ah oh, shit i'm i'm so sorry you know i don't think about you that way and like you know i'm not i'm not a bad person and like i'm really i'm just i'm just i'm it's so hard and you you like you just look so much like a man still and you'll, you'll get into moments like that where you feel really really like you just need to justify that by saying a lot of things that might be very difficult to hear or really hurtful to some people mm -hmm. um and that's that's where you get into moments where your trans person just maybe to, to like kind of end that moment or to appease your obvious feelings because they do care about you will say like oh it's no big deal or don't don't worry about it or it happens to everybody um that's not that's not a great feeling it's not an amazing moment right that's not something we want to create for people um certainly if we can avoid it so i think if you misgender someone just move on from it quickly um don't don't try to make a big deal about it. Just like a like a he oh I I mean she uh, is good. Um, and if you get corrected, uh, which which you may right, um, don't deny it. That's important. Um, my mom is notorious for being like I definitely didn't say that, and that's not a trans specific thing. She's always been a little bit like you know, I would never. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know that's. That's the, the British part of her, I think, probably. But um, here we go. Um, but I, I, I think that comes from a very loving place, right? Like people who don't want to be cruel or unkind and unconsciously sometimes are a little bit without even knowing it or thinking about it. So if someone corrects you, just give them a little thank you or like a, right, thanks, moving on, right? Avoid the I'm sorry if you can. I mean, that's something I've been consciously making a bit of an effort in my life to do because I'm a Canadian, so we do sometimes apologize. <laughs> and I've, I've been trying consciously to reframe apology as as gesture of thanks, because I feel like apology puts, it translates a moment of, I'd like to make this thing better for you into um, a feeling of guilt, like a transposed feeling of guilt. Mm. So instead of saying like, oh, I'm sorry, and everyone being like, yep, that was a shitty thing that happened dwell in it for a moment before we move on it changes it to um oh it's this thing oh thanks and and you're you're grateful to the person who's doing the labor for you and you're you're moving on from it in a positive way and i think that's that's important with trans people who um i i mean we're coming back to just the lens of experience right often i'm dealing with somebody who um i might be their very first interaction with a trans person and and you know to the to the woman man or, or non-binary person who they encounter 10 years later as their second trans person, I need them to not go into that conversation thinking like, oh, fucking trans people are always so angry about everything. Am I right? Yeah. I, I need them to go in thinking like trans people are humans and they can, they can have grace because I have access to that grace and I'm able to share it. But I'm going to have that conversation upwards of a hundred times a day mm. because I'm I'm a billboard of that experience. I'm walking through the world as that thing all the time. And you might not encounter it very much, but I promise that that interaction where I have to be very careful and very cautious and very kind happens to me every day. Um, so be patient too, because not everyone comes to that conversation with the same level of spoons. And if someone is upset and um, I don't, I, I like to not speak for all trans people because I feel like that's that's often problematic and experiences can vary as wildly as any other kind of experience, but no transgender person is cool with you misgendering them. Literally none of them.
Um, <laughs> they just are saying that because they love you and they don't want to hurt your feelings, but stop doing it, please. Uh, speaking of that, um, and maybe as an extra point to add on to it, uh, just to kind of bring this to a bit of a close, mm -hmm. uh, I wondered if you had a couple of things, maybe uh, some things that you really wish people would do more of or stop doing as uh, non-trans people. And maybe uh, if you could speak to a bit of advice to if there are people listening to this who are trans about your experience and maybe any advice you might have for them as gamers who are trans. Sure. Um... Well, I'll start with the latter portion of that. Uh, if you're if you're a trans listener or someone who has questions about their gender, um, I'll give you a few points of advice that were useful to me. If you're having a lot of questions about your gender, that's not something cis people do very much. So you might want to check in on those feelings. They're important, and you'll want to work on them. It's never too late to transition. Your life will be better. Your life will be more fulfilling. It will be happier and you will find joy in it. Even if you lose things, it will be an important and, and amazing experience. If yours is anything like mine, and I suspect it will be more like mine than not. Um, having said that, uh, you know, it's a labor and it, it's, it's three things. It's legal, it's social, and it's uh, medical. And of those, the, the social one is, is the hardest and most important. Um, I will say that uh, fixating on if you'll ever have that sort of dream life um, that you're looking for can be, can be dangerous. You can get a lot closer than you think you can. And if you're living in a body that you hate, there's a cost associated with doing that. And, and you're paying that cost even if you think you're not. Um, don't worry about passing. Don't worry about um, feeling like you need to hide yourself until you meet some invisible standard of masculinity, androgyny, or femininity. Um, just, just be in the world as your authentic self as much as you can because you're doing an important political labor by doing so and you're living a better life and you, you will find yourself happier and more able to achieve those goals. Don't, don't set yourself invisible benchmarks. Um, those will only hold you back. Those, those benchmarks will, uh, will eventually be the bars that are keeping you where you are. Um, again, advice to, to trans people, um, not coming out to the people that you love and care about is denying them an opportunity to surprise you with their acceptance. Give people that opportunity because a bad coming out conversation is painful and difficult and will be something that hurts for a long time. But a good coming out conversation is one of the single most affirming experiences that you'll ever have. And it will make you feel like, like you're having a wedding day to yourself. Like it's a, it's a moment of real, real incredible affirmation. And when, you're, when your friends meet you where they are and when the people that you love do find a way to accept you or to, to want to understand, especially when that surprises you, it is magical. To folks who are, um, potentially dealing with trans people in their lives, but are, are cisgender or who are interested in being better allies to trans people. Um, I've said this before, 
It's got to be loud. It's got to be vocal. It's got to be active. If your support of trans people cannot be seen by people who you do not know whether they are trans or not, it is not doing enough. It is not doing perhaps anything. Um, examine your own biases. Look, look at yourself and think like, um, do I think that the experience of someone being trans is, is a worse version of, of anything? Uh, it's it's not. I'm I'm not less of a woman than uh, than my cisgender friends, and I think it's um, it's really valuable to check in on those feelings because I think even trans people sometimes have those feelings or those moments, um, and and the belief that that being trans is not a disability to overcome, but something unique and interesting about you that gives you perspective and understanding and that there's something beautiful about that. I think that's, that's something that everyone should reckon with a little bit. Trans or cis, that there, there can be something worth celebrating in this experience. And treating someone's coming out story as an opportunity for celebration is maybe the best kind of response. Um, I, I, I've said already, Evan and I had a really positive coming out story, but the first thing he said, and, and he has experience with the trans people in his life, so he was well qualified to come to this conversation, but I was still very nervous about it because my relationship with him is very important to me. You know, he said, I'm, I'm really excited for you, and I'm so happy that you felt like you could share this with me, and this, this is great because it is, we have spent a long time thinking about the negative experiences, and it's very natural to come to that conversation ready to talk about the problems or the negatives or the concerns. And there's there's not really a space for that in that moment. Um, and it can shut you down for a long time. I spent 10 more years in the closet than I needed to because of two negative conversations. The shit has a lot of power. Hmm. Well, um, again, thank you for coming and so frankly sharing your experiences and your advice. Um, where can people find you if they wanted to maybe take this conversation further? Yeah, um, so <laughs> the world's a little quiet uh, right now, um, but, but so is my life. I'm, I'm working remotely from home. Um, folks who want to reach out to me on Facebook, that's easy. If people are using Facebook, um, I'm available on Messenger. It's Rebecca Banky. Feel free to throw me a friend request or a message or, or both possibly with some contextualization if you're that way inclined. Um, I also, uh, we have a channel, Ar Arcane Assist and uh, Arcane Assist podcast at gmail.com if long form email is your, your preferred mechanism of response. Also, um, we have a like a page there and you can message that page directly and I do respond to all of the messages on that um, page. Often it's to talk about like more machine lists or gaming interests, but um, also definitely I'm happy to talk about gender experiences. <laughs> it's not like our theme, but it's like, it's there. Um, and uh, yeah, you can also reach out to us through the YouTube channel too. Um, uh, and I, I guess I'm around, like I'm on Discord too. I'm in a number of Discord servers and um, I'm, I'm on the MCP Discord server. Folks just want to message me there too. I'm, I'm Rebecca, um, pretty pretty straightforward. I spend a lot of time in online spaces with different interesting names, but now I'm so excited about the one I get to use in the real world. I just use it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Well, thanks again. And thank you for taking time spending, uh, spending time in the danger room with me. Ah, more than happy to do so. It's been a delight. And remarkably less dangerous than anticipated. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for this episode of The Danger Room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game. 
you can reach out to us on our Discord, Twitter, or Facebook. The links will be in the description. We have a questions channel on our Discord, so feel free to drop us some questions in there and we'll answer them on the show. Thank you for taking the time and listening to us. If you're liking what you hear, leave a rating or comment or even both. We appreciate any feedback to help us grow and become a better group to bring you the best quality content that we can. See you next time in the Danger Room. Simulation complete.